welcome to the Pop War Tea podcast where today we were speaking with Dr. Lucinda Morris, who is joining us all the way from Australia. Dr. Morris works as a consultant radiation oncologist at St. George and the Sutherland Hospital. She is founding chair of Targeting Cancer, an internationally recognized public awareness campaign which aims to raise the profile of radiation therapy in the community and to increase patient access to radiation therapy globally. Welcome, Lucinda. It's great to have you here today. Thanks, Claire. In our talk um, earlier today, I was saying the one thing that I really loved about targeting cancer and that campaign in Australia is the way that you included radiation therapy and you included the patient's story within that campaign. And I thought it was really powerful. Um, Maybe you could share with us a little bit how that works and the benefits of including the patient in your campaign. We have really worked hard to focus on working with patients and focus on patient stories. Um, Because I think at the the end of the day, my feeling is that the human brain resonates with stories. It remembers Mm. stories. Years on, stories are what stay with us, not information. And as doctors and as as radiation oncologists or, or radiation oncology professionals, I think we're very good at giving information and people in the community or or whoever's, you know, the audience is certainly listen to us and take that information on for a time. But what really sticks with people and what moves them and what and what stays with them are those patient stories. And I mean, uh, the perfect example for us, as I'm sure you know, Claire, is um, the amazing Julie McCrossan, yeah. who's a very high profile Australian broadcaster, who's also the targeting cancer campaign ambassador. And Julie has just been an absolute force of nature for the campaign. Um, and particularly her knack of telling her story of her cancer journey up until this day and ongoing um, has just been amazing and really, really resonated um, with people all over the world. And she just never tires in any form that she can get in, whether it be social media or, or live or in, in the written word of telling people that radiation therapy saved her voice and it saved her life. And that's so much more powerful than me saying, well, I can cure this cancer with a non-invasive approach with VMAT techniques bearing the structures of the upper era digestive tract, (laughs) which, of course, is we can't help ourselves. That's how we talk as as medical people. So I I think, yeah, at the higher level, it's just that storytelling that, that resonates with people. And that's why on our website... I always encourage even GPs and other healthcare professionals to watch the patient's story videos and to watch Julie's story because I think that's what lands with them. I totally agree. What brought me to your website at first was actually listening to Julie's story and then seeing her and also you have lots of other stories there and it was great to see, I suppose, different stories from different people from different backgrounds. I would agree with you you remember stories much better than lots of facts. And yeah, for me, I was thinking also, it's nice to see Judy's story because as you're aware of the difficulties that she had, so it's good to know that in spite of those difficulties, that it does come to an end and that there is an outcome that is positive at the end through your stories. You show that radiation therapy isn't an effective cancer treatment and should be used more than it currently is. 
So what is the situation in Australia around the use of radiation therapy and the awareness around it? Yeah, I mean, look, we we both know the world over radiation therapy is desperately underutilised. And of course, in, in um, low to middle income countries, it's just tragic um, with many countries having no radiation therapy services or one machine servicing many thousands of millions of people. It's just it's it doesn't bear thinking about but sadly you know in countries like australia and new zealand and, and that's where targeting cancer is is relative to many people miss out as well and i think the world over the reasons are very similar and there's common themes everywhere there's this common miss these these myths and misconceptions in the community and in the healthcare profession itself you know other cancer professionals that radiation therapy is this dangerous and difficult treatment that's the last ditch, ditch effort when nothing else works um, a lot of our referral pathways are broken, um, so patients don't get to us, whether it be through other specialists or GPs. And at a funding and government level, um, the resources just aren't coming in either. And again, it, it's due to those key misunderstandings, even around what our specialty is called. I mean, recently, this is public information, but the... the Radiation oncologists in New Zealand successfully lobbied for five radiation oncology um, registrar training positions from the government, which was fantastic. However, the government allocated that funding to radiology registrars, not understanding the difference between the two. And, and that's not a criticism of the government in, in many ways. It's just a reflection of how poor the understanding is of what we do. And I frequently get called a radiotherapist in my multidisciplinary team meetings try and politely explain we're radiation oncologists. So uh, it, it, it goes down to even as simple as being what our specialty is called. And here in Australia, we know that one in two people would benefit from radiation therapy, but we know from good data that only about one in three actually receive it, um, which is tragic. That is very true. And I suppose one of the issues with radiation therapy is we don't have much of a public awareness. That is why with this Pop RT podcast, our public engagement initiative in um, the discipline of radiation therapy here at Trinity is to try and promote radiation therapy and to make the community, whether it is patients, family or other healthcare professionals, more aware of it as a treatment. And as you say, that it's not dangerous and that it won't burn you. And that is why I think patients really can be great advocates for the treatment. In the targeting cancer campaign, from your experience, how would you see the benefits of patients contributing to it? Obviously, you know, Judy's story is, is prominent. Do you think that's made it easier to tell the story, to get awareness? Yeah, look, uh, certainly at that community level, telling those stories, um, it just, as I said, is so much more powerful and resonates so much more when it comes from a patient. And patients seek out other patients, of course. Also, I'd say at a policy and advocacy level, there's so much power in partnering with patients. I mean, of course, individual patients, but so many patients now are involved in very well-organised, powerful 
patient and consumer advocacy groups. And in many ways, they have policymakers ears more so than we do, because mm. quite rightly, they're seen as not having any other particular interest or agenda other than the good of other patients. And so partnering with those patient groups is, is fundamental. And that's something that we're always trying to seek to do better with targeting cancer. A great, a great example of that in Australia is Rare Cancers Australia. They've just done a, an amazing job at really getting the ear of the government and advocating for people with um, rare and uncommon cancers. I think the other particular power of patients in getting our message out there about radiation therapy is the media. We've definitely learnt the lesson that the that journalists don't just want to hear from a doctor and they don't just want a fancy machine or innovation or technical stuff. That They want that wonderful triad of, of a clinician or a professional that can talk to the, the technicalities or the research. They want to know what the innovation or the good news story is. And then, of course, you need to have a patient tell their story of how they've benefited from that treatment. So at World Cancer Day this year, um, we had a wonderful patient, a young Indigenous woman who's had brachytherapy for cervix cancer. And it was her story that came through, not the technicalities of brachytherapy. And, and certainly her, her, her radiation oncologist um, spoke as part of that story. But of course, the journalist put her photo on the front page and it was her story and her quotes that led because they're the most powerful Um so, look, the, the power with, with the media as well in terms of telling patients' stories is fundamental. Patients' voices are powerful. And, of course, we couldn't have this discussion without talking about the great work that you've done uh, for the older patient in radiation therapy. And I suppose sometimes when you think of advocacy, it can be of a young person leading an initiative, of course, which is great. But there is a lot of work being done by yourself and your group about advocating for that older patient in radiation therapy. And I'd love to hear how that process began for you. Well, I have to give a shout out to Anita O'Donovan and your wonderful Irish colleague, because it was many years ago I heard her at a conference talking about the challenges of treating older people with cancer, particularly those who need radiation therapy. And it was as I sat there listening to her, I realised, you know, this was when I was still a trainee, that so many older adults that come through our departments and, and have radiation therapy weren't having the best of care. They were either being over-treated or under-treated and there was just so little evidence to guide their care, little high-level evidence. Um, and that's reflected in the data worldwide. We know that older adults' outcome um, from cancer are poorer than their younger counterparts, even adjusting for comorbidity. And I've cited some of the reasons for that. I mean, we know that we are going to be having so many more older people coming through our clinics in the decades to come with the ageing population. Here in Australia, the number of people over 80 diagnosed with cancer will double and over 90 it will triple. So it's, it's really, as we call it, the ageing tsunami. And I think in radiation therapy, we are distinct from our medical oncology and surgery oncology colleagues because we have a very well tolerated local non-invasive treatment that usually doesn't require an inpatient stay. It's a treatment that's often much more acceptable and far better tolerated than other cancer therapies and in many circumstances it can provide a cure um, or excellent palliation or long-term control. So we have a wonderful therapy at our, at our fingertips for these older people and I think in terms of partnering with with older 
adults and patients, it's absolutely fundamental. Uh, for instance, um, when we think of clinical trial design, typically um, oncologists, we just go straight for overall survival, disease-free survival, all those, uh, all those traditional outcomes. But it's only when we partner with older adults that we find out actually what the end user wants as a result of these trials. And time and time again, we're told by older adults, it's not those traditional outcomes that matters to them. It's things like loss of functionality, inability to stay at home, quality of life, and preservation of functional capacity and independence that matters to them, and, and toxicity. Um, and so, again, that, that patient um, partnership in research for older adults is just fundamental. Otherwise, we're going to churn out research. It means nothing at all to the end user. Yeah, that is so important. And that's why we need to hear from patients and family members about exactly what do they want? Because sometimes I feel we do this research, uh, we think it's great, we give ourselves a great pat on our backs and we're like, oh, wow. And then you you bring it to the community and they really want to know something else and it's not what they're looking for and it's not what they want so I think that's such an important point that we really need to hear the patient's voice so that we can actually meet their needs. Sometimes I think when I talk to patients myself, they're often nervous about being an advocate. They would often say they worry about the workload or they might be nervous or think that they don't have the experience. What would your experience be of working with different patients or different groups? Um, I presume that most people can get involved. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a chatterbox. Um, you know, you can get involved anyway. Absolutely. No, you, you, you definitely don't have to be a chatterbox like Julie and I. <laughs> Look, uh, the first thing I will say um, is my experience, and certainly I have to mention Sandra Turner. I'm sure you, you know Sandra. Mm -hmm. She was the, 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 the true founding chair of Targeting Cancer, and she really did so much of the recruitment of so many patients to the campaign to this date. And she and I will both happily say that almost always patients, when you ask them to become involved in the campaign or in some sort of advocacy activity, almost always say yes. I've never had it be a hard sell at all. And of course, some patients may say no, and that's that's absolutely fine and understandable. But almost universally, they're, they're really enthusiastic and keen to, to give back to the community and the specialty that's given them a benefit in terms of their own cancer. So it, I always tell other clinicians, don't be nervous, just ask the question. And of course, you follow all the consent protocols of, of whatever jurisdiction that you're in. So, uh, yeah, the first thing, yeah, they're, they're almost always really keen to be involved. And as you say, there's so many different ways to be involved. For instance, we've asked patients to simply do the Targeting Cancer Fun Run with us at our annual um, Ranska event and simply, you know, have a happy snap that goes up on social media um, to show that patients are, are walking alongside the campaign, um, whether they do a more in-depth interview for the campaign, whether they become consistently involved um, over a period of time like Julie has, or it's simply one-off support for events um, or pieces of work that are irrelevant to them. 
is really up to them. I mean, I can't forget to mention the number of men with prostate cancer who've helped with our prostate cancer advocacy work here in Australia. Uh, they were so fundamental to having our Medicare benefits scheme disclaimers written in that men need to see a radiation oncologist before they have a prostatectomy. You know, they did blogs for us, they wrote articles for us, they did interviews for us, and that was one piece of work, a one-off, and it was so powerful at the time, but they've not had to commit to anything more long-term than that. So, yeah, there's so many different ways they can become involved or just a selfie. (laughs) Even just a picture. (laughs) Often when people think of advocacy, um, I always think that they think of research rather than education. And I know that you're a good advocate for education. It's something I'm particularly passionate about myself. Because when you think about those misconceptions about radiation therapy, I also think it's an important aspect that is sometimes forgotten about is this um, advocacy for education, because I think patients have a really important role in forming us what we need to include in education, but also educating each other. And I suppose I was just wondering, what is your experience or thoughts on that? Look, in terms of of education, and it's becoming more and more acknowledged within the medical profession, and I know Julie McCrossan and another wonderful patient advocate who's done some work for us, Shona Edwards, a young woman in Adelaide who's had proton therapy overseas, they're both um, very much involved in medical student education in order to get medical students to understand that patient perspective and what's important to patients and how to communicate with patients better from an early place. And I I just think that's absolutely wonderful and will be so important for future generations of of doctors. There's other ways of doing it. Um, Ben Bravery, who is a doctor in Australia, has written a good book called The Patient Doctor. Um, He himself underwent treatment for bowel cancer and he's written a book about that, which is, um, I'm fairly sure, becoming a bestseller. And that's been a wonderful education piece for everybody in, in oncology to have that perspective of a patient that's now a doctor to understand so many things that we can do better in terms of communicating with our patients and managing our patients and how they experience the care pathway. Because so often it's, as you know, what we do is all day, every day, and we've done it hundreds of times before, but for every one of our patients, this is their first time having cancer and being through this experience, and it's so easily forgotten. So that patient perspective is just so incredibly important. Yes, it is. Finally, if um, anyone is interested in becoming involved in targeting cancer in Australia or here in Ireland um, in Trinity College at the Discipline of Radiation Therapy, uh, what do you recommend or what advice uh, would you give to them? Uh, And I suppose we're talking about patients, but in my experience also is that you can learn a lot from families and carers about how to manage information in those situations. In the first instance, the most simple and powerful thing people can do is if they are touched by cancer or a family member or a loved one are touched by cancer, particularly in terms of radiation therapy is simply ask the question of your doctors of your team is radiation therapy an option for me and should I see a radiation oncologist or ask your family member or your loved one to to ask their team that Um, because there's nothing like getting in front of a radiation oncologist um, 
to understand the treatment um, and the information um, the best. In terms of active advocacy, look, it, the, the, the Radonk social media world is alive and thriving and everybody in that hashtag Radonk world is so approachable and so passionate about what we do and, and, and Radonk advocacy. So my advice would be get on get online, get on Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn and connect um, with anybody that's on there. Connect with me, <laughs> connect with you. Um, we're, we're very open to, to being reached out to directly um, and at least advising or helping people as to how they might take the next steps to get involved. Uh, yeah, that's what I'd say. And, and also connect, of course, with other patients. There's a huge patient community uh, on social media. Uh, join those groups, have those conversations and get involved. Yeah, and we would really love for you to be involved. Um, I won't keep you any longer. Uh, Lucinda, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Claire. That was the first episode of Pop RT Podcast, and I really hope uh, you enjoyed it. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, for anyone that's interested in finding out more or would like to get involved, you will find our Twitter handles um, and website for targeting cancer and for radiation therapy at Trinity College um, below in our podcast notes. Please reach out even if it's just for a chat. Thanks again. Bye.